Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. For more information, go to www.daniellemckinnis.com or visit www.mckinnismarketing.com.au. Because <laughs> we, yeah, sure. we could go over right forever. But, um, yeah, exactly. So I, I came across your book. I don't know how I actually came. I think you must have been doing a podcast and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I think the <laughs> thing that really made, I think the reason it really resonated with me when I started to read it was what I had found by being a blogger, I don't know, say three or four years, is that instead of just posting up my little point of view, it sort of had moved from that to me thinking, well, if I curate this for my customers and pull it all together, it actually is going to be a little bit more valuable than just my point of view. So I went yep. from just mine to a lot. And then I came across yours and you actually took it a little bit further than that. And I just wanted you to sort of, you know, explain your concept or how you actually came about writing this book and what, it, what the premise is for you. Yeah, sure. Well, I think the premise for brandscaping, you know, was actually pretty simple. And I was essentially trying, I, I realized that um, if you just kind of asked yourself what, um, you know, what companies already have, you know, my next customer as their existing customer, I could find the right kinds of customers for me much faster. Um, and it led to this kind of realization that, you know, in a digital world, everybody has an audience and, you know, they, they have a relationship with their audience. So your blog obviously generates, uh, you know, an audience of your own, people that tune in every week or, you know, consume your content on a regular basis. And that if I just created content with you that helped sell your services, eventually those clients would have a need for what I provide and I'd be able to much more reliably grow my business. And, you know, it, it worked for us, but it more importantly worked for the clients we served as an agency. And that's when I really realized that no matter the scale, whether you're a single person trying to run a consulting business or build widgets in your garage, um, or you're a multi-billion dollar corporation, if you just actually started to work with other people to create content that helps sell their services, you're a trusted brand in the mind of those consumers, and you'll end up um, you know, getting their business long term. Mm -hmm. So that was the simple idea that I, I really tried to kind of explore in depth um, in the book Brandscaping and look at you know, what were the trends that made this possible or the changes in the evolution of the media that made this kind of a, uh, an easy way to bypass paying for the audience you wanted and how did it benefit all the parties involved? Yeah, well, I think it's just, I guess the application initially or in your book was for content, but, you know, you could actually even adapt it to, you know, outside of content in terms of relationships do you know what I mean? Like collaborating beyond content into, you know, other things, whether it's, it's sort of almost another form of collaboration. Um, yeah, I mean, brandscaping is collaboration at its deepest. And there are examples in the book even of people who have revolutionized their products by partnering with other people. In fact, there's a guy named Michael Port who wrote a book called uh, Book Yourself Solid. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if you've read that. Yeah, or, or yeah. Yeah. So I just talked to Michael last week and, you know, he partnered up with a, com- a company called Contactually, which is a, basically, a, you know, a contact management software for salespeople mm-hmm. to create a sales program that's designed to leverage their software and teach his teachings as part of the service offering. So, you know, Michael Porter is an author and a really smart guy with a platform to, to you know, tell his story and then help other people become better salespeople. And it made a lot of sense for Contactually, somebody who just offers software, to help add a value add to what they were doing and have a Michael Port, you know, branded, um, you know, Contactually platform. So mm-hmm. you're right, you know, for both parties, they both get something out of it. Michael gets a platform for software and Contactually gets great content that helps people sell better, faster, cheaper. Exactly. And I, I guess the other example I'm thinking of now is when you go and look at a piece of software, what I look for is the APIs or the opportunity to leverage that with other partners. And some of yep. like if you look at Google Apps, they've done that. If you look at Marketo, you know, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're integrating their platform with things that make sense for the customer and thereby that, thereby that value add is so much more because it's another way to compete in terms of, you know, positioning themselves as more than just what they are, and I think it's 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 snowballing, which is awesome because it it just makes it such a better experience for us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, software is a really wonderful opportunity. I spent a lot of time looking at the evolution of new media platforms, and um, funnily enough, like in the I I divided up into seven phases, but. The seven phases don't really matter, but like there's these early phases where you're kind of experimenting with a platform, and then there's adoption as the second phase where people start to adopt the platform, and gestation is essentially where the platform starts to evolve and solidify. And in the gestation phase, companies that have really powerful APIs with deep data integration are much more successful than ones that are closed because people... Um, you know, have ideas about the kinds of things they want to do with the content that's on a platform or the media that's on a platform or the information and data that's available through a platform um, that really help expand the platform's reach. And that's just another form of a brandscape. You know, when you look at the outcropping of just applications that came out of Twitter or Instagram as two easy examples, um, you can see thousands of opportunities for brands to partner um, and even start new businesses. You know, Instagram is a great example of that. Uh, you know, a platform with a billion images by April of 2012 already had hundreds of um, printing companies that were offering you the ability to print your images, like Printstagram or Pop Canvas or Canvas Pop, sorry. Um, <laughs> and those businesses wouldn't exist essentially without their ability to pa- partner with the platform through an API and deliver a new kind of service. So, you know, I think businesses that are looking for the right kinds of partnerships, and especially deep long-term partnerships, are the ones that succeed um, and, and make themselves stronger. So can you tell me a bit about, there's a couple of things that I really liked in the book, and one of it was, you know, who really owns your audience? How, do you, how does a small business sort of start that conversation? Like, what, what should they be looking for? What questions should they be asking to take themselves on that journey? Well, I mean, I think you can... I think if you focus on building an audience for your business instead of just building customers for your business, you'll be much more successful in the digital world. Um, Because, 
you know, essentially content helps, the content you create on any digital platform helps kind of build a relationship with the audience you're creating it for. Um, and the first things to do, I think, for, especially for a small business, are to really think about the audience you already own. And any small business probably has an email list of people they've either, you know, clients they've served or even friends and family. If you're brand new and you've never had a client, that's okay. That's who you've got to start with. That's your audience. And essentially, you need to focus on creating content, just like a publisher, um, even just an email form once a week that helps your friends and family, your audience, um, you know, make their lives better with the assumption that your business will help them do that um, instead of outwardly telling them that your business will make their lives better. Uh, you can do a much better job of doing that yourself. I actually have a friend who run, just started a small business and her business is essentially she helps um, you know, create meals for families that are either too busy to cook at home or maybe even don't know how to cook very well at home. And what she did was essentially share the recipes with the people in the audience and invite them to make them themselves. Um, or if they don't have time, that's okay. I'll make it for you and deliver your dinner on Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday night. And that's exactly the right kind of mindset. You're, you're giving the recipe away to all the people who want to make this at home. And there's a subset of that audience that realizes, I don't have time to make this, but it sounds really good. And now I know where to get it done. Um, and it's been very successful. She's literally been in business a week and oh, wow. she's, got, she's already got orders. So, <laughs> so that's the kind of thing you need to think about. Who's your audience? What kind of content can you create for them on a regular basis that'll build a relationship with them? And then how can you monetize that long term? I, th I think that that's the difficult thing for small businesses is thinking about, or, or maybe it's just, you know, I often said to other guests, you know, is it difficult to be empathetic? Is it difficult to put yourself in the customer's shoes? Because so many people, it's all about them. And I think that even when I'm talking to clients, they always say, Dan, yeah, but what sort of content are we going to do? It, it seems to be a big stumbling block for them to actually address. Have you come yeah, across well, that? I think if you don't know your, con if you don't know your audience um, or what kind of content they need, <laughs> um, that's a real problem. <laughs> so if you don't know what kind of content they, your audience needs to um, to make their lives better or be better professionals at work or, you know, get a raise or a promotion um, that, that's a result of the kinds of services you provide or products you provide, um, you probably need to take a step back and ask yourself why you're in business. Um, they're fundamental questions. Yeah. And I can understand not realizing that, that you could create content to do that. Most clients I interact with or people I interact with very quickly realize that they have a huge set of domain knowledge that they've never shared with their audience because they took it for granted. Yeah. So maybe you can give me an example of a conversation you had recently where somebody was confused and we can, we can work it out together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you a good example. I've got a client that's a builder and we were, we were working through what is their value proposition. And, you know, you can sort of put it up there that, you know, we believe that people come to us or choose us because of X. But we actually decided that we'd go back and ask their customers. Novel idea, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But do you know what they told them? They told them, and this often happens, it's not exactly what they think. What they, what they found out from their customers was, it, yes, they had a good quality product, you know, they were build up. Yes, it was sure. environmentally sustainable, which they thought was the main thing, but it wasn't. The main thing for them was that they held their hand through the process 
They knew at every stage what was going to happen mm-hmm. and they felt confident in that it was going to be a positive outcome. And yep. so we branded that Build Care and actually mm-hmm. show them new prospects and customers and it's just about to be launched. What happens at every step? Because I think that you're right. A lot of people hold this IP back and it's not doing them any service, especially in a situation where the service in the building industry you it's really so don't know. You know you're going to have a nightmare. Everyone says, just prepare yourself. You know, And so that is a really big point of difference that they do well. So having tools and things around that are really important. And I still think for them, even though we've now disclosed that journey for um, people, there's sort of spin-offs of that that um, I guess will come, but I don't know, you might be able to think of things that, we could give them to enhance that experience, you know, yeah, as sure. they go through that that particular um, journey. Well, I mean, I think you did everything right in that instance. I mean, the you know the the problem, especially with the building industry and creating a value proposition in general, is I actually think it's much less about um, what you do. It's it's really about why you do it. Um, as a business owner and how it relates to the consumer. Um, so I'll give you a great example in the building industry. There's a guy in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma here in the United States. His name is Stephen Jones and he runs a company called Tulsa Renew. And he essentially sells siding and windows and doors and, you know, renovates people's homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he had something similar. He called it the ultimate customer experience, the UCE, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he, never, he, he just talked about the quality of his product, which is the same between every builder. Every builder says they know what they're doing. Every builder says they have a great quality product. Every builder says they're going to show up on time and they're going to clean up the job site and it's going to meet your expectations. The difference is, and, and where you took it was, you're going to show me, not tell me, that you make a difference. And what Stephen did was actually genius. He downloaded an app on the iPhone app store um, from Apple called Coach's Eye, which is essentially an application designed for, imagine you're like a golf coach or a football coach and you want to take a videotape of your, your golf student or your, your football student and then slow it down and show them where they're making mistakes with little arrows and circles, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you can play it back and upload it to YouTube or email it to them. Well, what Steven did was he realized his customers would call every day at 5 o'clock when he got home and wanted to have a beer his, his customers would call and say, oh, my gosh, there's a hole in the wall. What is this hole? I didn't know there was going to be a hole there. Are you going to fix that? And he was very worried about his ultimate customer experience. So he'd jump in the truck, and he'd drive over to the job site, and he'd say, oh, my Lord, like that hole, that's just a vent duct. And, yeah, of course we're going to fix that. We had to take it off to put on the new siding. And then he'd go home and relax. And this happened too often. So he used Coach's Eye, this little video app, for every day at lunch when he's on the job site, at every job site, he videotapes a two-minute um, description of what's going on on the job site, and then he documents it with the arrows, like, hey, this hole here, it's a vent, don't worry, we're going to have that done by tomorrow, Maybe may not be finished by the time you're home. And at 2 o'clock, 2 p.m. every day, he emails the, their custom video to their clients. Their clients are sitting at their desk, at their office, they get the video, they watch it, and guess what they do? They say, hey, Bob, come over here, check out what my contractor just sent me, this awesome video. So his value proposition is essentially, you know, at Tulsa Renew, we believe that you should know what's going on at your house no matter what, what time of day it is. If we're on the job site, we're going to keep you up to date 
um, and make you feel confident. And he's his videos, you can find them on YouTube. Just search Tulsa Renew. He also now does video quotes using the same application. And it shows people that he's already different than everybody else. He doesn't have to tell you he has an ultimate customer experience. He can show you the hundred videos from the last six weeks that he's uploaded. Um, and it works really well. So that's great. You know, that's the kind of content people can create. Um, the other thing is I always tell people to start showing their work. Um, as a business, you've got this great opportunity to, you know, when you don't know what kind of content to create, start showing people how you do your business um, and, and accentuate that as content. And you can be very successful. You know, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're a design firm, a contractor, you make widgets. Um, just show people all the things that you take for granted because it differentiates you immediately. And it'll, it'll put you on the path of finding the right thing. Absolutely. I think that there's been um, a bit of a, a reluctance to do that by a lot of people because they feel like by giving that away, you know, that they're losing control. And, mm. and, and I guess the way I look at it is, you know, if somebody's going to visit your website, they might as well walk away knowing more about you. I mean, what's the downside of that? And, and I do believe that all my business is the how. You know, you can have mm. the what, but you've still got to actually do the how, you know. Yeah. So um, that's really, really good advice. I'm going to tell them about that app. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should. <laughs> well, really I have like a theory it. I call the bikini concept. And I don't know how, how politically correct this is or not. But essentially, you know, I believe in giving away kind of 99% of the content. And it's the good stuff that you're holding back. And, you know, that's what a bikini does. Uh, <laughs> well, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully it does, right. Um you know, I, I really think, um, you know, the, it's the, the stuff that differentiates you are all the things you should be showing to everyone. Um, and it's, it's just the little nuggets that, um, you, you know, that, that, that kind of exceed their expectations um, that you can cover up and tease. And that's what, you know, people are, uh, you know, will end up buying. So that, that's a totally inappropriate analogy, I'm sure. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So have you got an example of um, when you've created or a client's created some content and the audience have taken it upon themselves to actually co-collaborate where they've been involved with the content? Because I think that's almost the next step, you know, where they take it on as their own and, and start contributing. To me, that's like them embracing it. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the there's a bit of a cautionary tale there, right? Like, um, one of my theories is that very few people in your audience will create content on their own, right? Like, you know, the numbers vary, but let's say it's six to 9% of your audience, um, will contribute to the content. And that even means posting a comment on a blog post, you know, um, the majority of people don't do that. Uh, that doesn't mean your content's not valuable. It doesn't mean it's not being consumed. It doesn't mean it's making a difference or an impact or driving revenue. It just means that not you can't expect everyone to contribute. Yeah. Um, but that being said, sure, there, um, you might be familiar with a company called Quirky. Um, you should definitely check out Quirky. Uh, it's, it's in my book, but it's at the very end in an appendix, so you, people sometimes miss it. But essentially, Quirky is a... 
it was founded by a guy who wanted to create new iPhone accessories, and he didn't realize he already had some headphones that were very successful. And he was supposed to be going to a trade show, and he didn't have anything to show at the trade show because he hadn't come up with a new product. So what he did was actually just set up a booth with a clothesline and some paper and a marker. And he told people, hey, if you have an idea for an iPhone accessory, draw it on the piece of paper. And then the best idea is at the end of the trade show, we're going to actually help fund and put into product design. And we'll share the revenue with you for whatever we create. And by the end of the trade show, he had, I think it was like 400 ideas from people. He picked three. One of them became a best-selling iPhone accessory within about six months. And now he started a business called Quirky, which is it's that exact content and concept made for the web. And what he, he has a, an audience of 230,000 people who every week submit a new idea for a product, and the community votes on which ones they like the best. Then they vet the products, they partner with the designer, and then they take it to a series of partners in the retail industry. Like in the U.S., they've got Walmart and Bed Bath & Beyond and Best Buy and Amazon and all sorts of retailers. And one of their first products... The guy was a student at a college here in Rhode Island, and within three months of submitting his design, he got a check for $350,000 um, that pretty much <laughs> changed his life. So, you know, that's an, that, and actually the weirdest thing about Quirky is it's now a television show in the United States. Oh um, so every week there's a new episode of Quirky and how they do it and who's the person they're going to pick. And it's a pretty cool concept. So you're absolutely right. You can actually revolutionize your business by actually letting, partnering with your audience to help create co products that can be rapidly tested, developed, and deployed with a much higher success rate because all those 250,000 people, a huge percentage of them buy the products they were, in, they were integral in, in creating. Um, and again, you've got a built-in audience. You, 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 you command a lot of power in the marketplace with that many people. Um, and overnight, you can have a best-selling product on Amazon if you get everybody to buy on the same day. So that, there's definitely the possibilities of, of collaborating with your audience to create a better product, to create content themselves. Um, and all they need is a little guidance and structure, and it can be very successful. <laughs> or a clothesline and a couple of pigs. I love that. Well, you know what? It, amazingly, sometimes the most simple ideas lead to the biggest changes within an organization. Um, and I think, you know, it doesn't have to be digital only. Sometimes, uh, you know, a very simple idea like, um, like Ben's, you know, clothesline and some pieces of paper in a trade show, uh, you know, really make a big difference in the way you think about your audience and the customers you serve. Well, that's, um, that's true. I've got a cartoonist that I really love. Um, Hugh, um, he has a cartoon called Gap Void. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Mm -hmm. but yeah, well, yeah, he, sure. he had a T-shirt um, that he wanted to produce. And it was something like, you know, I love what I do. I'm really good at what I do, or something like that. It, it was, it was, yeah. it was really nice. And and he has he, he has some awesome cartoons. Anyway, he had one that he wanted to actually commission. So he just went out to everyone and said, look, if I get 25 orders or more, I'll, I'll do it. You know. And so you know, he got something like 3,000 orders straight away. <laughs> yep. And it was like, oh my god. And and it's because we loved his art, and so now he's taken that from just being T-shirts to lots of other things, but we get to have a little piece of his humour, which I just think is such a clever idea. And, you know, mm. like it's a pretty simple idea. I, I don't know if he thought it would work or not, but now it's another side to his business and 
good on him. I mean, it's sort of leveraging. Yeah. All of these people out there were following him and, and really enjoyed his humour. It's another way for us to have that spread. So, Well, I mean, I think, nice. Bill, I think if you take a content-first approach to your business, just in general, the content can open up wide opportunities for new revenue streams. If you really think about you know, smart, differentiated content that reflects the, brand, the values of your brand, you know, whether you're a cartoonist, or not, um, you know, even if you, if, if you run a business with the idea that you could actually create a content product long term, um, you, you can actually see revenue from that. And there are people that do a very good job um, at kind of, you know, parlaying their online content expertise into information products that drive, you know, real dollar value. Um, let alone sales for their business. Uh, and, you know, there's kind of incremental revenue there. Um, some people are, you know, offering online training courses or some are selling books like me, uh, you know, but there's all sorts of wonderful ways you can turn, um, you know, great content into a real revenue stream. And, and Quirky has done it in the sense that they built a product design business, but on top of that, they built a TV show that now is, you know, netting them revenue each week. So it's pretty amazing. We need one of those. Um, yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you um, I guess some businesses might be listening and thinking, well, there's only one of me, but I've got a lot of employees that, you know, touch the consumer that could um, participate in this. Have you ever seen examples of employees actually being involved in the brandscaping or the content creating that's worked well? And is there any sort of issues in letting, you know, everyone touch the content creation? I, um, I think as an employer today, your biggest opportunity is to have your employees create content. Take, take the easy idea that everyone has an audience. It means that every employee you have has friends on Facebook. They have a LinkedIn account with a bunch of LinkedIn contacts, whether it's one or 1,000. It doesn't matter. They may even be on Twitter with five followers or 5,000 followers. Again, it doesn't matter. But each one of those people out there are potential clients or customers for your business. And the more you harness the power of your employees to create content that's, that's then distributed to the audience, their audience, as well as yours, the bigger you grow your business and grow the, the success of the employees you've got. Um, and there are great examples. In fact, there's a B2B company called Indium, I-N-D-I-N-D-U-I-M, Indium, mm -hmm. no, I-N-D-I-U-M, <laughs> sorry, okay. indium.com. Um, and they're, it's, a, it's the most boring business in the world. They sell um, uh, soldering material for, um, <laughs> for <laughs> electronics, right? Like it, it doesn't seem like a, any good content could come of this. Yeah. But what they did was they focused on asking their engineers in very specific verticals to write about their engineering expertise and the research that they had uncovered, whether it was from a question from a client, right? A customer might call the engineer in charge of their solar division and say, hey, what, what's the best capacitor for uh, solar energy? And he'd have to go research it and then write it up and put it up as a blog post. And Indium grew their business hugely. They have 18 blogs today written by 18 different people. They even hired a Japanese engineer so that they could write Japanese articles for the Japanese manufacturing industry. Um, and they even rebranded re their whole company 
around the success of that engineer um, kind of engineer to engineer uh, concept. And now their tagline, I think, is from one engineer to another. And on every blog post, it has the phone number of the engineer that created the blog post and, the, and an invitation to email them or connect with them on LinkedIn and ask more questions. And the business has grown hugely as a result of this, something like 500 times in the last four years. Yeah. So the more you enlist the, your employees to create and share the content that they, and their expertise, the more successful you'll be. I really believe that. I do too. I, I, I think it, um, it's so dependent on the control that the CEO gives to their employees. Do you know what I mean? And you can feel it in the culture, yeah. whether it's an open culture and whether it hangs together around, you know, a common vision and they're all aligned with their values or whether it's tightly held and there's no chance of that ever happening. And um, yeah. hopefully they're getting the message. Well, I think it'll. I think the ones that don't will see an evolution in their business um, long term that will make it necessary to really start to embrace the the more open approach to generating and distributing content. I mean, look, if you're hiring employees who are having interactions with your customers on a regular basis outside of the online world, you already trust them enough to do that. Um, What's the what's the problem, um, and why aren't you taking advantage of the opportunity to scale their their advice and expertise? Um, you know, the, in, this isn't a new idea either. In fact, uh, Defiance was a milk company. <laughs> they were selling powdered milk. They're Australian, actually. Um, the guy's name is Nate Johnson. He started Defiance Milk, and he was having a really hard time selling this powdered milk because he was competing with 400 other powdered milk brands. So what he started to do was actually answer parents' questions about raising their kids because he started getting letters every week. Um, and he hired a, a nurse named Nurse Kennedy, and she hired 11 other nurses to keep up with the demand of replying to these letters about how to raise your baby. And he ended up publishing a book called The Baby Book, and he distributed about a million copies a year up until the 70s, and it was actually called the Glaxo Baby Book. Defiance Milk became GlaxoSmithKline, the third largest pharmaceutical company in the world, and it all started by just hiring a bunch of nurses and inviting them to answer any question related to the concerns of, of raising a baby. And that's that kind of idea that you've got to use your, your, your internal expertise to help your customers no matter what, is, is one that's been around forever. So CEOs that b don't buy into it, it's not like they're you know, afraid of social media. Um, you know, they're just kind of ignoring, I think, a simple fact in the marketing world that that's good business. Absolutely. Does it just come back to being helpful? Um, well, being helpful is good business as well, <laughs> but um, I think it's deeper than that. It's um, you know, especially in the digital world, being helpful, uh, there are lots and lots of businesses that have great customer service, but they have no ability to scale that and then use it to their benefit um, if they're not sharing that information online. Um, you know, if you, if you think about Marcus Sheridan, do you know him, the sales line? Yeah. Um, and, you know, Marcus 
uh, you know, basically took his pool business from a small little business to a big, big, big business uh, by just answering customer questions and scaling that in the online world. He'd answer those questions a million times. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk is the same way with Wine Library TV. You know how many times that guy had to answer in the store, hey, what, what wine goes with fish? You know, he probably answered that question 40 times a day. Well, yeah. instead, he started creating a TV show where he answered that question once or twice or three times and got it to 90,000 people and sold more wine. That's the opportunity in the online world is to be helpful, not just to your customers, but to customers who aren't yours yet. And that's the benefit. Absolutely. Have you got another example of where you've seen brandscaping at play in terms of, you know, two or more um, companies coming together to share an audience or to build an audience? Um, let me think of a two or more example. Yeah, there's a, a so um, Ken Block. This is a car car example, mm-hmm. um, which is also in the book, um, which you might remember. But essentially, um, Ken Block. Start, he's like a car racing, a rally racing driver, and he created a company called DC Shoes. So already that's two brands. Ken Block was a brand unto himself. DC Shoes is a company that sells clothing. Um, He partnered with Ford to create these Gymkhana videos. You can watch them on YouTube. They're amazing, by the way. Just search for Gymkhana, G-Y-M-K-H-A-N-A, I think. Um, And uh, Ford, Monster Energy Drinks, uh, Universal Studios, I don't know, I'm, I'm missing some brands in there. I think there are nine brands in one video alone. Um, and all these brands contrib- contributed to the success of the video by sharing the video with their audience as well. And they all benefit. You know, Ford, they're selling the Ford Fiesta, and the Ford Fiesta looks awesome in this video. Like, it makes me want to buy a Ford Fiesta. I had no idea they could do that kind of turning and, you know, cool stuff. So, you know, they all benefit by kind of sharing the video with their their audience, their press, um, you know, contacts. Uh, and then, obviously, the, the customers at the end of the day for DC Shoes, which is a very progressive, you know, kind of young audience, young hip audience that loves the content that's being generated. Um, and the more they do this every year, by the way, they've done it for five years, um, essentially with the same brands, and it's worked wonders. So that's, um, you know, that's a good, easy example, I would oh, say, of, of lots of brands coming together. Lots of brands. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So what's um, what's happening with you next? What have you got on the radar for this year, and what are you working oh, on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, I sold my agency in October of last year. My agency was called Tipping Point Labs. It's still around, yep. um, but I am I'm speaking a lot. I speak about fifty times a year. I didn't make it to content marketing world in Sydney, which is going on, I think, this week actually, yeah. uh, because I'm speaking in Austria and in Europe and in Atlanta. I think it, all in the next couple of weeks. So I, I'm essentially traveling a lot, speaking and and uh, you know, kind of selling my my book, brandscaping, and talking to cool people like you. That's my plan. Oh yeah. Um, Lucky. <laughs> so. Lucky for us. And so, do Yay. you do you sort of see that? you know, as your, you know, next 18 months or more or or is there another, you know, do you want to put down roots again and do another business or is there anything else on the horizon (laughs) for you? Yeah, well, I don't, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, because I was going to say because, um, I don't know, I think it's really fun to be, um, you know, in front of an audience and do the teaching, but part of me as an entrepreneur wants to build (laughs) 
And I just yeah. wonder whether that's, you know, it sounds like it that, that's in you and I just wonder if that yeah. needs to come out again. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd start another business again. I think running an agency for 11 years, I think I, I got my fill um, you know, of kind of the the stress and fears and trepidation of, of running a business with a bunch of employees. It's one thing to, you know, run a business with three people or just yourself. You know, I think there's a, a little bit of a less, uh, you know, kind of less stress environment. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm turning 40. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm up for that again, but I would love to work you know, I, I can see myself getting impatient, and I, I, I would love to work in an environment where um, I could flex my, uh, you know, all, all the the kind of entrepreneurial muscles I have and the ones I enjoy flexing without the risk and liability of running my own business and the stress and strain that, that, that comes along with that. I have been writing a letter every week to Warren Buffett, who's a you know, very powerful investor yes. um, who started to buy newspapers. And my part of my Part of my backup plan long term is to work with Warren Buffett to save the newspaper industry because I think they're messing it up. Um, well, maybe, so, maybe we'll you need to deal with Scott Pope um, because he is it's called the Barefoot Investor in Australia and he, I think, has a relationship with Warren Buffett. You might oh, have really? To, you, you might have to Google him. But I think he, he did the same strategy. I think he bugged him for ages and ages and I think – um, eventually got to do an interview with him. Um, so I'm wishing you luck on that front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm absolutely We'll see you. how it goes. My letter, I handwrite a letter every week, and uh, you can read those online. I'll send you the link, but it's it's kind of fun. Oh, I have we'll been, see if it works. I have been reading some. I, 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 oh, good. I kill myself laughing. I think they're fantastic. And, <laughs> and Warren, if you listen to this, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's about time to get back to him, you know. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I'm 23 letters in. I think it's I think it's about time. The over under right now on him responding is 36. So oh. everybody's betting that it's going to take about 36 letters. So well, I've got 16 more to go. You you got to do a poll when that comes out or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will. Well, That's th- very fun. Thank you so much for for your insights and the book's just fantastic and I'll put a link to that and and the other things Thanks. that you mentioned, and um, yeah, I wish you well with all your speaking. It's it, it sounds like it's great fun. Do you ever videotape what you're doing at your um, your talks or anything? Uh, sometimes they do. I'll send you a link. Actually, I just spoke in Toronto, and they just they just sent me the link to it. So I'll send I'll send you that. It's about newspapers, but it's still entertaining. Oh, so I'll be. send you one of them. All right, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll send you my link to my meatloaf journey. That's always a good one if you haven't seen that. That's oh. a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. That will be great. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Well, this has been great. Have a good day down there. I will, and um, I'll let you know when I've um, uploaded it and um, yeah, send, sure. you, send you the URL. And, yeah, let me know what you think of the, um, uh, the service design thinking stuff. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, yeah I just bookmarked it, so I'll, I'll look at it this week. It's very interesting. It's an intriguing idea. Yeah, I think it'll be up And I love the... I love the business model generation thing, too. I'm going to read that tonight. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep you busy. Don't worry. Yeah, no kidding. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate it. No, it's so nice to chat with you. And next time I'm down in Australia, I'll let you know. We'll oh, meet up. I haven't been to Melbourne before. I've been to Sydney a bunch. Okay. Well, um, I'm, I'm often in between the two. So, yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Oh, good. Yeah. All right. And give your son my best. Thank you. And thanks for being flexible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Bye, okay. Danielle. See ya. Bye.
Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time. Thank you.